What's going on, everybody? This is Chris Adams with Beyond the Blind. Uh, you can find us on BTBN, Facebook, social media. Just a, a little reminder, we're doing a giveaway for anybody that is uh, following, subscribing, left us a review, commented on, um, on the giveaway on the Facebook page. I have a call that I'm giving away. So if you share it, and have subscribed to us, go ahead and comment on there and say what episode you shared. Every episode you share is going to be an enter into that um, that giveaway. I don't know when I'm going to give it away yet. But uh, yeah, so that way you guys get a chance to get a free call just for doing what you're already doing and listening to us. And uh, I do appreciate it. Today I've got uh, Ben Shook, call maker out of around Charlotte, uh, North Carolina. And he makes Catawba calls. I had to practice that about four times because, uh, yeah, I have been off the East Coast for about 10 years now. And uh, so I, it was rough coming up with that. But what's going on, brother? How are you doing? Uh, pretty good, man. How about you? Oh, not too bad. Like uh, we were talking about beforehand, I'm I'm all gimped up today because it was 88 here in Missouri, which is way above seasonal average i think today it's like 72 which is a little more normal so we went to the river yesterday and uh went playing and realized that i'm feeling very much older you know and next week gonna turn another year older and it just hitting me quick i know you had your birthday yesterday so yeah i did uh hit 42 yesterday so uh Kind of different, you know, not being able to go out and celebrate with everything going on, but we may do the best we could. Did you eat some good food at least? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I put a couple of ribeyes on the grill last night and did some baked potatoes and wife made me, she baked me a cake last night, so it's pretty good. Yeah, you can't beat that, man. What is your preferred hey. method of uh, steaks? Uh, I, uh, rare to medium rare. Rare medium rare to most. Do you uh, reverse sear them or anything like that, or is it just straight onto the grill, time it out, and pull it off? I'll pull them out, let them get up to room temp in the house, and then take them straight to the grill. That's what's up, man. I, uh, I've i always done the sear. Like, I like pan-frying my steaks, which I'm people, right. like, make fun of all the time. But that's just, I love doing that with, uh, like, I'll bring it up to room temp, and then I'll throw on, like, salt and pepper and let that sit for, like, another 20 minutes. And then I've always put it on a hot pan, seared all the sides really quick in about a minute and a half, and then cooked it to medium rare or rare. I like mine. Yeah, I like mine still mooing and, you know, throwing butter and garlic and stuff on top of that. I tried to reverse sear it by uh, oven cooking it at like 250 for 45 minutes the other day, and then pulling it off and throwing it on a cast iron pan. And doing that nice crisp sear on there and uh i miscalculated and they came out about medium but man it was super uh, tender it's just that i like them rare and uh oh, yeah. so it was overdone to me but it's always fun to hear how other guys do it yeah man i will say i'm a charcoal guy i, I cooked with gas for a long time and i switched over to charcoal again back probably two three years ago and I, I won't go back. That's, that's the way I like to do it. But I don't, I don't cook my steaks any more than 10 minutes on the grill. Oh, yeah. Any more than that, you're just killing them. Yep. Yep. <laughs> well, I swear, I'm telling you, people that like their steaks done, 
There's got to be something wrong with them. I, I can't bring myself to do it. Uh, the girlfriend likes hers at more medium, and uh, that was me bringing her down from medium well. And I finally got her convinced, but she will not do medium rare, and it just hurts my soul every time to cook them that way. Oh man, uh, that's up. <laughs> right? Yeah. So you yeah. you got out and did a little birthday celebration. You said it was a little different because the uh, the Corona thing. How's that? How's that affecting you on the uh, daily basis? I know me, it hasn't really changed much work wise. I feel like I'm working more with the Corona, but uh, I know everybody uh, else is making a huge difference. Yeah. Well, see, I'm a. I, strange my uh my girlfriend's actually the behavioral therapist at uh my kids school and uh yes they we went on spring break and then the kids never went back and she's been having to like do different uh phone call interviews with like the kids that she you know met on a daily basis just to talk and check in but yeah it's been a big struggle for her too she absolutely hates not being able to see them Well, it takes a special calling to want to be a, a teacher, man. I know, like, I couldn't do high school, but I know once I got into high school, what kind of hell I put my teachers through back in the- I'm very smart, Alec, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, well, I'll tell you what, it's just, some sick careers can be that way, too, but I think, you know, they, when they're at that age, they're, they're discovering their personalities, and the, the real them starting to come through, and it's just all those little quirks, and, uh, Differences with all these kids is what makes it so much fun. Yeah. Well, and you get to teach a, a fun subject, you know, where you're getting to do some science experiments and not having to write a bunch of papers and learn about MLA and all that kind of stuff that kids always seem to hate. So, did you grow up knowing that you wanted to be a teacher, or is it a, like, I know a lot of teachers get involved with it, like, through sports. Like, some of my favorite teachers were also coaches on the team and stuff like that, and they just kind of, they wanted to be a teacher, but they really wanted to do physical, like, not PE, but, like, coaching as well. Right. Well, um, I I started, this was a second career for me. I got, uh, I graduated. 
uh, with my teaching degree when I was 33. So um, when I graduated from high school, I had, I had every intention of being a civil engineer. And um, went to college for a year to do that, dropped out and went to work. And I spent from 97 to December of 2010 working in furniture. Because, you know, the furniture industry here in North Carolina, that's a big thing. And that's what I did. But somewhere around 2005, I decided that I wanted to go back to school. If I waited any longer, it wasn't going to happen. And uh, made the jump. Decided that, you know, I felt like I needed to be in a public school. And kind of went from there. So. Uh, and I've been, yeah, go ahead. Oh no, that's that's really good. I was gonna say you were in furniture. Do you feel like that like led you down the path to being a car maker? I you know I, I don't think so because uh, it's just a completely different skill set. What I was doing, I was I upholstered. So um, I, I worked for a, a Lazy Boy, which we had a Lazy Boy uh, facility here in the county. And I worked for them for about eight, nine years, and uh, did up Street there, and then moved to Ethan Allen, which is just up the road, and did up Street up there. It's, the the call making thing kind of kind of spurred off of just a, an interest in being in the being in waterfowl. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, that upholstery man with. I uh, I worked for a furniture company right out of high school while I was going to college at the same time. And we would have, you know, some leather couches and stuff like that that would have to come in and be fixed or somebody had screwed something up. And watching those dudes come in and sew leather was always mine. You know, like, that just seemed like the biggest pain in the butt. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was, uh... And I, I didn't get into doing uh, a lot of that stuff until I decided to start doing it at home as, like, a uh, kind of a second job. And I, I did a poetry at home for a while up until... Uh, probably 2015. So I'd already been teaching for a few years, and uh, I just suddenly decided I'd had enough. I had had absolute all I could handle as far as upholstering goes. I mean, I made good money when I was doing it, but I hated it. You know what I mean? No, oh, yeah, yeah, I definitely understand that game. So this, I mean, I don't make, I don't make near as much teaching as I did when I was building furniture, but. I'm a heck of a lot more happy about what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah, I can totally get that, man. I worked for 3M for a few years, and I was working a lot, 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 and I was working with a lot of hazardous chemicals making glue. And uh, the, the reason we were getting paid so well is because it was a very toxic, dangerous thing to be working on, and I hated every single second of it, even though I had more money than I knew what to do with at the time. Yeah, oh, I know. So how did uh, yeah. did you grow up? Um, you said the upholstery, the furniture making didn't really have anything to do with call making. Did you grow up waterfowling? I know you guys have some lakes and some rivers around there. A lot of people don't think of North Carolina as a big waterfowl spot, but I know there's like a lot of marshes and stuff that come in off the ocean. You guys have a pretty big river and lake system, don't you? Yeah, we do now. You go out east. Uh, toward the coast, and that's that's the major part of the Atlantic Flyway that runs through North Carolina. And Waterfowl's big out there; it's real big out there. Um, we've got a couple spots out there where you can still hunt in sink boxes, which they've been, uh, you know, those things have been outlawed pretty much everywhere else. But you can still hunt them out there at uh, Hunkercoke Island, 
helping me as far as getting in the outdoors. And I cut my teeth hunting squirrels like most everybody else. And then transitioned on into deer hunt. And I deer hunted up until probably 10 years ago. Um, and then my son, I've got a 16 year old, and he decided just out of the blue that he wanted to go duck hunting. And I'm sitting here thinking, uh, okay. I don't know anything about duck hunting. I don't know where to start. I don't, I don't know anything. Um, but I, there's a guy that I go to church with. Uh, he just started going to church out there where we go. Um, and his name is Glenn Floyd. And I, I believe you know who Glenn Floyd is because I think you buy some blanks from him, don't you? Oh, yeah. Glenn is one of my favorite wood providers, man. Yeah. So uh, Glenn, Glenn has since then become a very good personal friend of mine. And... Um, he kind of got us started on this addiction. We went out. First time we went out, my son shot a greenhead, and it was, it's been downhill ever since. <laughs> Just <laughs> dumping money here and there forever, huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's turned into uh, something far bigger than I ever imagined it to be. <laughs> so you started hunting and uh you got into that who got you like were you in between seasons and just wanting to stay involved with waterfowl or what was the uh the thought process behind starting your own calls yeah, well so uh i got started doing calls in uh kind of fall of 2016 so that year because glenn had already had his wood business going he's already stabilizing blanks and selling blanks and i got to learn uh that side of everything, uh, just spending time over at his shop, and I, I just, just one of the things that popped in my head, like, man, you know what, this would be kind of cool if I could figure out how to do this, and nothing else, just to get me through till uh, hunting season, and uh, I started off making whistles, and it's kind of developed from whistles, whistles into making, uh, making calls now, so... That, that's kind of, it's just an idea that I had something that I wanted to try, and that stuck with it. So, how did you figure out, like, because I know there's so many forums and things written, and people are always asking questions about calls, and that's just kind of, I learned through a lot, a lot of trial and error, and a lot of screw-ups, and wasted calls how did you figure out the whistles did you have like a mentor or did you just do the same thing just start drilling and uh messing with tone boards well there was still a couple of tutorials out there that was on tho back when uh and i think by that time tho had kind of started to die off a little bit um but there was still some stuff on tho and i read a lot on tho and then from there uh, it was pretty much um get in the shop and screw some stuff up and try to get this figured out. <laughs> I think every... Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, and that's what I was like, you know, I think you, that's the way it goes, you know. That's how you figure stuff out. You gotta make a lot of screw-ups and a lot of mistakes in order for something to actually work out right down the road. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, a lot of guys that started, because you started, it sounds like, right after I did, about a year after I did, and then I talked to Tyler Hall last week or the week before and he i started about a year right after him and then meredith was right in between us and uh almost all of us man we all did the same thing i spent so many hours reading on tho the forum side of it had already kind of died off and moved over to call nuts and uh dce but as far as like reading all the experiences that 
I spent so much time on there, and I was talking to somebody last week. I can't remember if it was Hall or not. Was talking about THO actually being shut down, and I haven't looked at it yeah. in like a year. And I guess now it's shut down. Well, it's migrated over to Facebook. Yeah, that's well. Even re- getting on there and reading those old posts and stuff like that to not have that is such a huge loss. Uh, yeah. Now, the, some of the stuff I don't know how uh, how much of it has moved over. I know that. Uh, and when they started the Facebook page here, oh gosh, it's only been maybe a month or so. Man, it might have been longer than that. But since then, they've kind of been migrating some of the tutorial stuff over to their Facebook page. So it's definitely not what it was. The resources are not there like it was when it was still online. But there's still some stuff out there. So THO itself has actually made a Facebook page or a group? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a Facebook page called THO. Um, I think it's THO Callmakers Forum or something. I can't remember the name of it right off the top of my head. That's good to know. I, I had no idea, and uh, that's always fun. Now that you know you know so many different call makers, if I have a question, I usually hit them up because of the relationship. Oh, yeah. But back when I first started, man, I, that was the last thing I was going to do was go out and reach out to a a seasoned call maker and ask this rudimentary question because first thing I'm doing is hopping on the internet and trying to figure it out myself and then yeah. at least showing that I've put in the work before I go ask for help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I will say that as far as the whistles go, I did have I did have a little bit of help. Um, yeah, just like everything else with call making goes, uh, I don't know if anybody out there that has gone through everything and hasn't asked for a little bit of help here and there. And, uh, but that's, that's the way it's been for me. And then kind of once that took off, and part of the reason why I wanted to do whistles is because at that time, and there's only a handful of guys making whistles that were that were posting quite regularly on, say, Calling Us or any other pages that's on Facebook. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty wild. I can't think of too many besides you, uh, Owens, Winger, and really that's, that's kind of the majority of the whistle makers. I'm sure there's thousands of others out there like, you know, if you go pick up a brand new Silverado, you notice everybody drives a Silverado. But if you don't drive one, you never notice it type thing. Yep. Yep. So I think at that time, the, 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 the majority of the whistle guys were, like you said, Aaron and Chris and uh, Dustin Turner. Mm-hmm. So that was, for the most part, that's the ones that I kept seeing. And that, that, that was it. That was it. And, um... Uh, that's that's part of the reason why I started with the whistles instead of starting out with with calls. Very cool, man. So what what would you say was uh, like? What was your process? Did you go out and find a lathe, or did you uh, did were you meticulous about doing a little research before starting, or did you just go out and start buying tooling? Well, I, I did a lot of reading first. Uh, did a lot of reading first, and then. I didn't sink a whole lot of money into equipment for the get-go. I mean, I already had a shop because, like I said, I was doing the, the furniture and stuff here. And I already had a drill press in my shop. I already had a miter saw and everything. So all I needed was a lathe. So I found the, uh, the old cheap Craftsman lathe uh, on Craigslist, I believe. And it happened to be, you know, just right down the road. And uh, went and picked it up, kind of started messing around with it, and uh, made... On that way, I think I made probably 20, 30 whistles and realized that that's not what I needed. 
was like, all right, I'm going to keep going. I went and bought uh, a lady at Harbor Freight, and uh, with that, that was a big, uh, big jump from what I was using, and that started focusing. Once I got that, I started focusing on more of the, the, the turning and the, the finishing of the, the whistles and the details, because the sound was there. I just needed to work on dressing everything up. Well, that's the most important. If you can get the sound figured out, everything else is uh is easier to figure out than the sound for sure. Oh yeah. So what um was it the hunting there that like had you were you a big whistle guy before you like when you started hunting? I think everybody I've always had you know a little five dollar Buck Gardner pintail five and one style whistle. You know, that I keep just to throw in, you know, a little bit of different sounds and that, you know, that Drake whistle, that dweep. Um, yep. But, you know, like, it's it's fun to see because I've talked to other call makers and uh, they've got into, like, cut downs and stuff like that. That's because that's how they hunt. You know, they've always hunted with a Mondo or something like that. And that's how they've jumped into cut downs. Were you a big whistle guy when you hunted? And that's kind of what led to your love of whistles? So tell me about your hunting. Like around here, we'll get an occasional dry cornfield that we'll hunt in. Um, we have our big lakes that if we get a, a big, huge cold front, I'm going to go hunt the lakes because that's where all the birds are going to begin with. And uh, and then we'll spread out to like our little farm ponds and stuff like that after the birds start moving off the lakes and getting familiar with the area. Like what's the yeah. hunting situation out there like? Dead. Dead? <laughs> You said in the last five years it's gone off. I know the uh, the Atlantic Flyway numbers have drastically fallen off over the last yeah. couple of years. I know that's been like a, a talk. I don't know if you guys do a lot of goose hunting or anything like that, but I know they went down to like in Maryland. It was a one bird, 30-day season, which is just yeah. insane here. We could shoot five honkers a day here in Missouri and be fine, even though, you know, limit's three, but we could shoot five a day and be fine. Is 
Is yeah. like, are you shooting more black ducks? Have you seen the mallard numbers just drop off? Like, it's just weird to me how it, it's hit that coast so hard. Well, in the, in the mallards, I say puddle ducks. Period. We don't see a whole lot of puddle ducks on our lake. Um, and the biggest the reason we don't see any of those is because there's nothing in there for them to eat. Um, Duke Power has gotten so many complaints about grass and everything in the lake that they released, oh gosh, it's been long before I started duck hunting, they released a bunch of grass carp in the lake. It was 120-some thousand grass carp. And then they went in and they sprayed everything to kill all the grass off. So there's no food source in there for the puddle ducks. Um, we can kill uh, wood ducks in coves because they're live oak trees. They get in there and eat acres. Um, but that's that's why we don't we don't get any puddle ducks now. I can't tell you how they use what they're seeing out there, other than the big diver numbers that they see out in the big water. Um, but as a whole, I mean, we're the the puddle ducks are just especially the mallards. We're just not seeing them. That's wild, man. It's a uh... It's very strange to see. Like, it, it's hard for me to fathom because I lived out there. I lived in Virginia Beach, which is not, you know, it's, what, four hours away from you, five hours away from you? Yeah, somewhere around that. And uh, that was back when I was in the Navy, so duck hunting wasn't on the fr- front forefront of my mind. But uh, being back in Missouri and uh, seeing some, like, if we see ducks, it's going to be mallards 90% of the time. So it's always weird to me to... Uh, how weird that it is on the East Coast that it, it's just falling off like that. Yeah. Now, I know, you know, one thing that I've noticed, too, back kind of when I got started and was hunting this lake up here, we would see green wings, uh, we'd see gadwall, and nothing. We don't hardly ever see any of those anymore. So, is that big lake, is that where you do the majority of your hunting? Is that uh, the one that's formed on the Catawba, Cat... Catawba. Yes, I keep screwing it up, man. That river. <laughs> is that the main place that you hunt? Is that lake? Yeah, and part of the reason is because it's close to the house. Um, now, if we, we've decided, my son and I both, we've, it's, it's one of those things. If we want to kill ducks, we got to go somewhere else. We can't, we're not going to do it around here. Um, now, there's some guys around here that's got some private spots locked up that, that'll typically hold a few birds here and there, but... Um, we want to kill anything in decent numbers. We either got to go to the coast or we got to go out of state. And that's that's just the way it is here. Is it that, isn't there that big marsh? Is that in North Carolina or South Carolina? It's like more towards the state line. Um, what's down there? Is Wilmington down in the far southeast part of the state? Yeah, Wilmington is, yeah. So if you go back towards you, like, 80 miles is that where there's a big marsh or is that in south carolina that i'm thinking of uh on the other side of charleston i'm i it's i haven't looked at a map and it's been a while that i've been out that way um i i know there's there's a lot of big marsh areas out out east there's a lot of uh probably one of the biggest uh areas i know of that 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 gets um that's real marshy is uh Around the Pamlico Sound, there's a lot of marshy areas around there. There's a lot of people hunt Pamlico too. Um, there's some, there's a pretty good spot. I think a good marshy spot down uh, kind of below Charleston. It's the Eighth Basin. I 
Yeah, yeah, I'm uh, pulling it up now. That's what I'm thinking of. Okay. Yeah, I, I've yeah, got my I got my state. Those Carolinas, you know, they're almost one Carolina to me anymore. Being here in the central part of the country anymore. <laughs> Man, I used to spend a lot of time, you know, living in Virginia Beach. We go to OBX all the time, but that's the most touristy yeah. part of the whole freaking East Coast, and it's not really North Carolina. Man, it's a uh, OBX. Is, yeah, that Outer Banks is so nice. And uh, compared to Virginia Beach, I there's no way that you could ever get me to live there again just because of all the military installations that are all in that yeah. one. Area. Like they have signs up on the side of the road that you can't, like you can't cuss in Virginia Beach, and you have a bunch of sailors. Like I try not to, but I, I, you know, the f word is. A huge part of my vocabulary just out of habit and I'll I'll listen to some of my old podcasts and stuff and be like oh man I cuss a whole lot when I'm just hanging out you know and it's just part of it and like the places like that it's just it's crazy it's so much different than down south or you know because you have very you have that North Carolina south you know draw where the people that are up in that other side it's almost like a up north East Coast feel to it. Yeah, well, and that's, you know, I've had some conversations with other people about this too, talking about accents and dialects across the state of North Carolina. We've got five or six different ones here. Well, yeah, you guys got the mountains all the way down to the swamp and the beach. Yeah, and you know what? People in each region talk differently. We, uh, we don't, in the Piedmont area, we don't sound like people up the mountains and we don't sound like people out east either. Well, I'm from Missouri, and you've had people from Missouri calling it Missouri, and that is one of my <laughs> biggest pet peeves. Is it is there's no a whatsoever. It's Missouri, <laughs> and it drives me nuts. So, and there's there's a whole lot of people. My best friend growing up, he always said Warsh with an R, and I, you know, now that we're older, he'll say it every now and then. I'm like, what'd you say? And he'll immediately fix it because I always gave him a hard time because that's just where it, the region that he grew up in that it has that uh, that wash and that uh, different style of saying stuff. Yep, yep, you're right. You're right. So you're from that Charlotte outer, you know, Charlotte area. What is? I don't know if you're a football fan, but I have to. What is going on with the Panthers, man? Well, they've had some hard times, but they have a killer defense that is brewing, man. Oh, absolutely. I, I, my son, he's, uh, he plays football for the high school here. And ever since he's kind of got into football, because I took a break from it for a while. And since he's got into playing football, he's soaking it up like crazy. And, I mean, he's, he's one of these kids, he can sit there and rattle off stats for so many different players and not about a high. And since he's gotten back into it, or since he's gotten into it, I've gotten back into it. 
And, uh, you know, we were sitting there watching the draft the other night, and we talked about it for weeks, how the best thing we can do is draft Chase Young. And I'm going to tell you what, I'm excited to see what's going to happen with their defense. Now we just got to get our offense going. Yes, that was what I was so happy you know, I, I could care less about the Redskins. I You know, it doesn't matter to me. But watching, they made the right move getting young. That's what the Bengals should have done, was taking Chase Young. Yeah. And then go get freaking um the kid from Clemson next year. Like, you're yeah. still going to be in the running for it. You can have a great defense and one of the best young quarterbacks. Yeah, it's a. I'm a huge Broncos fan, and 100% what it reminds me of is when the Panthers took Cam Newton because he was the Heisman winner, and Von Miller fell into the Broncos' lap. Yep. It, and look who's yep. still around, you know. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. I feel. I, I feel bad for Burrow because with uh, with the Bengals uh, releasing Dalton this week, they just automatically threw him into the QB one spot. Well, at least he's not playing in Cleveland. So, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Well, uh, I wish him the best. I just, he's not in a good system to be starting out uh, on day one, you know. Well, think about how many quarterbacks Detroit and uh, Cleveland ruined that were probably pretty good quarterbacks that just got through to the freaking Wolves. Like, I think Derek Carr, not Derek Carr, David Carr, his brother, went to Houston their first year, and he got beat senseless his four or five years in the league that, you know, because they didn't have anybody. Yeah. So. Yeah, well, I think, uh, as much as I hate to say it, I think they're going to end up doing the same thing with Deshaun Watson, too, because, hey, the kid's a talented quarterback. He's just not in a good system, and they're not doing anything to help that kid, either. No, how are you going to get rid of freaking Denard Hopkins for David Johnson where they traded straight up Denard Hopkins and David Johnson and then another big running back came available for like a seventh rounder, Um, Todd Gurley, which Todd Gurley hasn't played in like the last year and a half, but they got him for nothing. Yeah. It is. The NFL draft has happened. I haven't talked to anybody about the draft since it really happened, so... It's it's been on my mindset, so uh, yeah, you might have to forgive me for that. Yeah, it'd be nice. I mean, you know, with 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 Gurley going to Atlanta, I don't know how much he's gonna help that system out down there. But I'm telling you, the best thing that Houston can do is get rid of Bill O'Brien because he he's not he's not that great of a coach. And then instead of firing him like they should, they promoted him to general manager. I mean, well, what the crap are you doing? Yeah, it just makes no sense to me. Yeah, it doesn't. There, Houston's destined to be eight and eight, just like Dallas is for the next ten years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's you know talking about Dallas uh, having a conversation on the way up to on the way up the road this afternoon with my son because you know Dallas signed Andy Dalton last night and uh, we were talking about that whether or not that was a good move and I think uh, I personally as much as I hate the Cowboys I think that was a good move for them 
Well, yeah, and is there really a huge fall-off between Dak and Andy Dalton? I know recently, you know, Dalton hasn't looked the best, but look at the line he's played behind. Look, I mean, he had Mixon, uh, you know, to hand the ball off to, but the anybody that wants to say that the Bengals and the Cowboys are equal talent-wise is crazy. And uh, I don't think that – I think Dalton could be a lot better in that system. He has the talent. He just has never been in a good situation. You put him behind an offensive line like that, he's going to struggle. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It ruins a lot of really, really good quarterbacks. Yeah. I mean, look what... uh, What do you think about Alex Smith? Do you think he ever plays ball again? I know... I think he retired, didn't he? No, he's not officially retired. I don't know. I I really don't know what is going to happen with Smith. I mean, he's still under contract. But with them putting him on the uh, the pub list last year, um, kind of helped them out, saved them a roster spot. If he comes back, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's still a big question mark there. Personally, I would, what I would like to see them do, I don't know if they will, is uh, offer him an office job somewhere in the front office or maybe a TV coach or something. Well, yeah, Alex Smith's game, you know, because he played for the Chiefs for quite a long time, and that is our hometown team. I hate the Chiefs. It's my biggest rival because my whole family's from Kansas City. So I've always hated the Chiefs. But his game is I'm going to throw a 15-yard out route or, you know, a little quick hitch or something, or and if it's not open, I'm going to scramble for 25 yards. Alex Smith is the fastest white quarterback that I've ever seen that is slow. Like, he runs like a 4-8, but they'll have him dead to rights, and I've seen him shake off DeMarcus Ware, Vaughn Miller, and run for 35 yards out of nowhere, just at, like a, a jog. Yeah. He's he's yeah. very um, smart. Yeah, and that's, yeah, that's, I think it's a, a characteristic that, that, that it's a make or break as far as the NFL. Well, quarterbacks, period. Um I coach, I'm the head coach at the middle school that I teach at, so, um, and that's, that's one thing that I'm always looking at as far as trying to develop a quarterback and be able to utilize him. Can he make decisions, even at this age, can he make decisions? Is he going to make mistakes? If he gets in trouble, what's he going to do with the ball? Is he just going to throw it up or, or what? And I think that, that decision-making process for a quarterback is what separates an okay quarterback from a good quarterback. Oh, so you don't you don't mind football talk whatsoever? Then it's second nature oh, to you. <laughs> okay, okay. I was making sure I wasn't divulging too much into football because it's you know, I'm missing sports like crazy. <laughs> So, speaking of you coaching, do you find, does middle school, I know high school, it, it 
it kind of stops right at the beginning of hunting season. Do you find managing that time that you're putting into football and hunting and making calls, like it's all around the same time. Do you have any problems managing that, like flux of work? being so warm it ours doesn't ever get good here until december so that makes sense Do you guys have very many Canada geese out there? We got a buttload of residents. We got freaking resident geese everywhere. Um, the only problem is, is they're resident geese, and the ones on the lake are pretty smart. Um, they don't decoy very well. They they don't they don't respond to calls very well. Uh, we'll get some that are just dumb and don't know any better, and then they'll come and do it right, and then we'll kill them. But uh, your bigger groups of geese, they they shy away from from decoys and everything. But no, and every golf course around here's got geese laid up on them. Um, parking lots got geese laid up on them. Ponds out front of people's yards got geese all over them. But they they know where they can't be killed, so that's kind of where they hang out. That sounds a lot like uh, a lot like our area. Over big water, lakes and stuff like that, we do not hunt geese whatsoever. We hunt a lot of resident geese. What we'll do is uh, find those ponds and stuff like that that are close to the lake, like within a mile or two of the lake. And when the birds are starting to get pressured, they'll get off and they'll get on those ponds to loaf. And uh, we'll, we'll hunt them there because they you know, just don't expect it. They're a lot more comfortable. We'll, yeah. we'll hunt ponds like that. And uh, if the duck hunting's good... 
you know, a couple days after a big push, we'll hunt those ponds that are off of the big lakes where ducks have like started to find places to go rest that are away from all the traffic, and uh, we'll hunt them yeah. there. We usually do pretty good like that. Yeah, but now the geese, man, that's all I killed last year. I love it, man. Geese, it's my favorite. That's all we killed. It, uh, I don't care. I'll shoot a honker in the face in a heartbeat. Don't matter to me. Right, right. You guys have big graders too, right? You don't have the little geese. No, we don't have any little geese. Uh, they're all it's all the residents are the, the the big geese. Uh, now, in some parts of the state, we'll get some migrators. We don't we don't typically get a lot of mig- uh, migrators here where we are. Um, but like I said, most of them are most of them are all residents. Now, there's some there's some fields around here that 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 the geese like to pile up in, but. Mostly, those fields are either off limits, the landowners don't let you hunt them, or they already locked up and somebody's hunting them already. Dang, man. Especially being around yeah. a big, huge metro like you are, too. I bet that's way harder. Well, yeah. Well, I'll say this, though. Yeah, I'm a half hour from Charlotte, but once you get outside of Charlotte, like where I am, I mean, this is all a rural area up here. I mean, there's a lot of farms, a lot of big open areas. Now... Out toward the eastern, uh, closer to the east end of the county, probably about eight, ten miles away from me, it's building up uh, really big. Uh, but a lot of those, a lot of those people are driving to Charlotte to work. So instead of living in Mecklenburg County or living in Charlotte, they just soon come up this way. Land's cheaper, houses are cheaper, and really it's only a 20, 25 minute commute for them. Yeah, yeah. That's if I worked in a big city, that is one hundred percent what I would do as well. The, yeah. the drive would be a pain in the butt, but, you know, just living yeah. away from all the craziness for sure. So, you uh, are you pretty well known around your area for making calls? Like, do guys around uh, Charlotte, you said that you had a couple of a local stores that carried your stuff? No, I don't have anybody local carrying it. Um, there's, uh, I've got, yeah, with Joey Hip on uh, American Flyway Waterfowl on his website he's carrying some of my stuff um I'll be honest with you though, I think uh, the local the local market here is not very big um as far as I'm concerned uh for my stuff anyway I've sold some stuff locally uh the biggest majority of the stuff that I've made has gone well outside of North Carolina um which I mean there's there's a couple of guys there's some coal makers in North Carolina uh from R.E.M. and he's about an hour 20 away from me so he's got a big presence here um, and then there's a guy out oh, I can't remember his name out toward the coast he's got a pretty good presence out there but uh, yeah, I don't know it's just it's different around here they, a lot of people here are still big on the uh, the big shop the Echoes and R.N.T.'s and uh, either that or their Keeper poly stuff from like Buck Gardner and, and all that. So it's, it, it's just kind of weird. I would say that that's probably the majority of uh, at least my experience with. I feel like, you know, us hand turn guys are a super niche in the call collectors while call nuts and all these different pages have a pretty big following. It's still a, a very small niche of the waterfowl hunters that actually get into that handmade stuff. I agree. Um, I, you know, I'll tell you this too. I think part 
Well, I think we that is died. Yeah, I think you guys have. You're closer to one of the few remaining shows out there with being a uh, Easton. You know, you're you're not super close, but you're a lot closer than you know people on the Central Flyway are. But shows yeah. in the last ten years are non-existent anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, now that Easton show, I've been to it uh, twice. Um, I didn't go last year with my son playing football and uh, won't make it this year with him hopefully playing football depending on what happens between now and then. Um, but that, that's a good show. Uh, that's a really good show. Um, really, the only, the only thing that we have in the state of North Carolina, we have the Dixie Deer Classic that's in Raleigh. Um, as far as duck hunting stuff goes, I mean, you're going to have a few call makers set up up there. As a, a good friend of mine, who lives about 20 minutes from here, um, and he's a call maker. He set stuff up there, and he said this year it was terrible. It was just absolutely terrible. Yeah, I think people are, they're going to keep seeing attendance go down to those things because everything is available online. All these guys can jump on Facebook and find everything. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think, uh, now don't get me wrong, I'm very very appreciative of the pages like Call Nuts um, because that's kind of that's been it's been big for myself and big big for a lot of other small shop call makers but I think that outlet right there has uh, has probably contributed to some of the decline of these shows man I would I would think so but even that because where I'm at in Missouri, Missouri is a big waterfowl state, you know, as I'm sure a lot of yeah. people are like, oh, I wish I could go to Missouri, huh? It's not that, it, like, it It might sound great, but it's not that great. Like, it's so <laughs> packed full. Like, the best spots in the state are draw spots, and it's just yeah. a nightmare. You have to get up at 2 o'clock in the morning to go stand in line and hope to draw, and then you have to do a race to get on there and you have to be out there with you know 200 other people that are shooting at 80 yards like it's always just a big nightmare i like hunting around small bodies of water and if i shoot 10 birds you know with a couple of my friends and we got up 45 minutes before the hunt set our decoys you know 10 minutes before shooting time and we're done in an hour that's that's what i live for that's my favorite but this side of the state is a big big deer hunting area and uh, oh, okay. everybody deer hunts down here. It's king down here. And even those guys, like all the deer vendors, TV shows, clubs, and stuff like that that are around here, like they're not going to these these uh, outdoor shows or anything like that anymore either. And you figure, yeah. like fishing, obviously fishing is huge here. You have Johnny Morris and Bass Pro and all that stuff is from here. And uh, I would say that's the biggest draw in all of the outdoor industry is fishing by far over hunting. Yeah. And even that participation, I think, has fallen on its face pretty significantly. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. It's, uh, it's pretty wild, man. Yeah, now, I mean, I, I, like I said about, you know, about the online stuff as far as Facebook goes, I don't think, I wouldn't be where I am now if it wasn't for well it connects you know guys like us because i'm sure you started off as a somebody who was interested and started picking up random stuff here and there and uh, collecting stuff and it brings all these niche guys together it's kind of like when i was doing um 
I was live streaming stuff or when I first started call making and it was right when Facebook yeah. ads for pages had popped up and it was like, hey, pay $10 and you can reach these people's profiles who like these keywords and nonsense. And I was getting like views from India and it was like, I could pay this $10 and get a hundred people that look at calls to look at this stuff. Or you can post it in call nuts and all 30,000 people are only in call nuts because they like calls. Yeah. You know, it's very yeah. targeted marketing and uh, all of us niche guys together. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I think it's a good thing because uh, yeah, this whole thing has opened up uh, the door for all of us to be able to do something, to be able to share what what we love to do with with a larger group of people. Yeah, it... Um... I don't know, man. It's it's a really fun, entertaining thing. And I was talking to, I think, once again, I think I was talking to Tyler Hall. Maybe I was talking to Channing. I don't remember. But uh, there's more people making calls now than I think ever has before because of the availability of information. And you could go on here in 10 minutes and post a question about a call and have, you know, the best people in the world answering the question for you within like 10 minutes. And it's just crazy. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it, it is. It is. It's... Uh... It's nuts, man. It's nuts. Like, I, you know, if you'd asked me, I don't know, seven, eight years ago when I'd be doing this mess right now, I'd probably tell you no. No, not at all. Why? But, you know, it's uh, it, it's, it's an adventure. I just, I just like getting up here and messing around with stuff, you know? Yeah, man. It's, uh, I don't know. That's kind of how I started out doing it was just out tinkering around and hanging out and messing out and then messing around and the more people that wanted to grab calls i'm like okay well maybe i can actually do this and sell a few here and there and uh i I have that same mindset a lot of guys do that if i never sold another call the only reason i'd be disappointed is because i can't fund you know if i don't sell another call i can't buy three blanks to turn three more like it it has nothing to do with making money off of it it's really just to keep it going I think and he's been on. Call each other every once in a while. I think he's been and, on uh, every podcast we've done because Eric is that guy that is friends with everybody. Oh yeah, I'll tell you what, Eric <laughs> is about as good a guy as you'll ever run across. He makes one of the best calls out there too. Oh yeah, he makes a solid call. He makes a very solid call. Um, I, I, I was talking to him. Uh, I think it was last weekend. I was on phone with him and. Uh, Exactly. This crap ain't cheap. <laughs> no, yeah. Like I, I've told guys in the past, I got into this, you know, mainly to stay involved with waterfowl season. And because I was bored in the summertime and I kept seeing all these awesome calls going up, and I was like, oh, I'll just make this myself. I can't afford to buy 30 different people's calls, you know, but I can probably, yeah. if, if I would have known now, I would have just bought other people's calls. Y'all, y'all have been so much cheaper. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you, you get into it, and like, like I said, I bought that, I bought that uh, Harbor Freight lady, and turned on there for a while, 
And then realized that, you know, I could probably do better with a better lathe than an upgraded lathe. And, uh, of course, you know, good lathes aren't cheap. And now I'm sitting here looking in the shop. I've got three lathes sitting here and a bandsaw and miter saw and blasting cabinets and, God, all this crap that I never thought I'd ever use. And this stuff is, you know, you, you don't get into this uh, kind of halfway, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a all or nothing kind of deal. Well, and it's so funny because you know just seeing different guys that are that are starting out, and I talked about it with uh, with Alan the other day. How somebody had posted they couldn't bring themselves to spend fifty dollars on a flat jig. Was it worth it? Oh, and yeah, Ronnie's like, yeah, Ronnie's like, if you can't spend fifty dollars on a flat jig, you're getting into the wrong game, man. It's a money pit. Oh, it is. They're like buying a horse. <laughs> buying a damn boat. You know, at the end of the day, you know it's yeah. going to go down. Jeez. Well, <laughs> I'll tell you what. If I had to do it all over again, it wouldn't taste like. Nope. I mean, I would uh, I would start with the flat jig, but that's it. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I'll say this. You know, the, the tomboard that I have, the jig that I have right now, that's the way it was. That's where it came from. I, I started with a flat jig, and I worked on that. I worked that stupid insert for probably a year before I got it to where I wanted it, and then sent it off the weight and had a custom jig made. And now I'm getting ready to send another one off. I'm just not 100 percent sure. It's right where I want it right now. So still got a little bit of tweaking to do, and decide if I want to pull the trigger on getting custom jig number two. No, I still got to get custom jig number one, man. It's a, it's a struggle. Five years later, I'm still haven't put the number one in, but it's gonna happen. Hey, well, I'm gonna tell you though, I, there's some there's some call makers out there that they make a damn good call, and they're not cutting anything off a custom jig or cutting everything off a flat jig. I uh, I've liked doing it that way. I've done it for a long time, but mm, good night. My my hands turn into vice grips. I had to do three of them this weekend, and my hands are just so tight from doing that. I'm like, I got to start saving myself some time. Yeah. Hey, wait till you start to say, if you ever decide to get in the checker and you talk about making your hands hurt, then oh. I one barrel. And I was messing around with it the other night when my stuff finally came in, and oh, it was bad. My hands hurt so bad. <laughs> and that's an old school thing that has just gotten so popular lately. That I love it. Yeah. You guys doing it. It's yeah. just so amazing. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's one of those things that yeah, I kind of been wanting to mess around with for a while, and then here, uh, uh, probably about a month or so ago, outside of this time, I got a hold of Brian Byers because yeah, he's the Brian's one of the checker and gurus, and uh, got a hold of him, talked to him, got a cradle from him, and then ordered uh, ordered my tools from Gunline, and. Uh, they finally came in after about three weeks because yeah, they're in California and the whole state of California was shut down so they weren't letting anything go out. I would but say... This is going to be different, man. I'm, on, I'm working. I've got one that, that one that I was messing with the other night. It's sitting here on the bench now and got two panels done, got one more to go and then, I don't know, probably here in about a week or so I'm going to see if I can't screw a whistle up. <laughs> well, that'll be fun to freaking see. I haven't seen a lot of checkered whistles. I've only seen one that I know of, and that one, uh, I'm sure somebody else has done one. But uh, a 
Scotty Stippich did one here, I think, last year. And that's the, that, that's the first one I remember ever seeing. That will be wild. How many, uh, how many cradles do you think Byers has sold in the last two months? That dude, that is, the Corona has helped out his cradle business more than anything else, probably. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, he's sitting at home, can't get anything done. Might as well go to the shop. Hmm, let's try this. Right. I mean, you know, that's, well, what I'm, what I'm going to do, uh, probably sometime this afternoon, is I'm going to drill out and turn some uh, practice barrels, and I'm going to take his stuff to school with me while I'm, while I'm sitting there at my desk. Is, I'm going to sit there and play. Heck, yeah, man. Well, like I said, man, I really, really appreciate you giving me some time this Sunday afternoon, man. It's been fun. We've been talking about doing it for two weeks, and I really appreciate you giving me some time to do it, brother. I really like your work and have followed it for years, and it's finally time that we connected. I appreciate it, bro. I'm, uh, I appreciate the opportunity to be able to do this. Uh, it's, this is good, man, and uh, you keep up the good work, too. You're turning out some pretty killer stuff, man. I got. I need to get a hold of one of your calls here sometime soon. Well, we'll arrange to do another trade on, or to do a trade on it. So. All right. Sounds good, man. Sounds good to me, brother. If people want to reach out to you and grab a call, I know you had some in stock the other day from a stupid show being canceled. Where can they get a hold of you at? Uh, they can uh, go to Catawba River Calls on Facebook. Uh, they can message me through my Facebook page. And uh, there's an email link also on the page. And if they want to order a call through there, they uh, click the email link, send me an email, and then we'll get them squared away. Sounds good, man. Well, I appreciate it, like I said. And uh, we should have this up later on today. So uh, hopefully right, everybody can good, check man. it out, man. All right. Sounds good, man. I appreciate it. All right, buddy. Take care. All right. You too, man. All right. Bye-bye. All right, guys, that was uh, Ben Shook out of uh, North Carolina, Catawba River Calls. I'm going to keep screwing that up. You guys heard me pronounce it like four times, but uh followed Ben's work for a long time. He's a super nice guy, and he's been doing some good stuff, man. I've always been a big fan of his, so hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Um, it's Sunday afternoon. It's been a little rainy here. But it's finally starting to clear off, so I think I'm going to go outside and do some yard work and try to get some food taken care of. But uh, make sure you guys get on here, hit that subscribe button on iTunes, leave us a review for the duck call. If you want to share an episode, go ahead and comment on the Facebook page where I shared the picture of the call and uh, put what episode you shared and subscribe. That'll be an entry to each call, and uh, we'll get a call into your hands. So thanks for tuning in, and uh, have a good one.